there was a, a pastor friend of mine uh, who, I say he's a pastor friend of mine, he's, I mean, he's also taught me a great, great deal. He is uh, 40 years my senior, um, uh, plus a couple. He, uh, uh, he wrote this little booklet, which, Katie, will you hand it to me? I meant to bring it up here. It's right there on the front pew, um, which I actually think I have a few more of these. Anybody wants them? Um, I've given them over the years uh, as many as I can get, I give them out. But it's a phenomenal little deal. He wrote in here uh, 10, uh, I guess, principles he learned over his many years of following the Lord. And uh, the little book is called Where God Guides, God Provides. Uh, but in here he talks about some of his um, experiences he's been through over the years as a pastor uh, he was, he's the pastor of First Baptist Church, Pasadena, Texas. This is the, actually the church I grew up in. Um, and uh, he's been there since 1990. Uh, but when that church was looking to bring him as pastor, uh, he was a pastor of another church, and uh, they were looking at him to come. And I don't know if you know much about Baptist Church and the way it operates but when a church doesn't have a pastor, they typically, now every church is different, they don't always do this, but they put together what they call a pulpit committee, trying to fill the pulpit, you know. Uh, and so this, this committee will begin to pray and go around and try to find the right uh, pastor. And he, he, he writes this little booklet about this process for, from his perspective, that when they came, the Lord had told him that that's where he needed to go, but it had been communicated to him by the pulpit committee that the church, as a group, wanted to change locations, wanted to move locations from the location they had, more downtown area, uh, out uh, to a different part of town. It was kind of the juncture of several different cities where they all came together in this one spot. They wanted to move over, over in that direction. Uh, and so he, th this is what was communicated to him. And so he comes in to this church. He, he, he says, yes, I want to come. The church votes. It's overwhelmingly that he's the guy, and he comes in uh, and stepping into this with the expectation, okay, the church wants me to lead them to move locations. Well, he very quickly discovered that that was not the case, uh, uh, and that the, uh, there was a, a significant vocal, they were a minority, but they were very, very vocal, did not want to leave that location. To the point, one year after he came to be a pastor, the church was going to vote to move. And he got to church that morning and uh, in, in the office of the church, he parked his car, walked in the office, a bunch of men from the church had gathered and laid down on the ground to prevent him from getting into his office to get his, you know, Bible and things to get in the office. Uh, and he, write, he writes this little funny deal and he says, and what do you do when you come across an obstacle? Well, you step over it. So he said, so I stepped over those guys who were laying down on the floor to keep me from getting in the office. He got his stuff, went out of his office, stepped over their bodies again, and went in there to preach. And uh, the church voted to, to do that and buy this property on the other side of town. Uh, but it was a long process. I mean, I, I was there. I remember being there. Um, I remember some of those business meetings. I remember uh, my parents uh, telling me to go, that they took me home because they were screaming and shouting in those business meetings, name callings. I mean, it was crazy. Um, my dad was on staff at the time. And, and several years later, they're getting ready to move locations. And uh, they have to sell their facilities. This other church came and offered to buy their property outright. I mean, just straight up buy the property. But they would have to coexist in the location for about a year and a half, two years, because uh, this church, First Baptist Pasadena, didn't have a building to move into yet. And the difficulty that some people had in the church was the church who had come to buy their building uh, was of a different, uh, primarily different ethnicity than they were. And so there was deep racial issues, and there was screaming, and there was anger, and it got to the point to where the night before they were going to vote to sell their property to this other church, uh, the pastor got a phone call at his house that said, we know where you live. If you leave to go to church in the morning, you will not make it. And he got off the phone, he hung it up, and he wrote in there uh, in the booklet that he, he in an instant, thought, 
when his wife asked who was on the phone, telling her it was the wrong number. <laughs> but he told her they prayed, and they got up the next morning. They got in the car, drove to church without a problem. The church voted to sell the building, and uh, no issue there. I mean, there were still issues, still frustrations, and the church ended up moving three years later, um, or two years later, and um, uh, moved out to this property. And even though the pastor had these expectations coming in, even though some people in the church had certain expectations coming in, even though other people in the church had other expectations coming in, what, what I find remarkable in the life of this man was all that mattered to him was to do what the Lord told him to do. And all these other expectations, even his own, had to fade to the background because he saw what the Lord wanted him to do and he was going to remain steadfast in that responsibility. Because whether you're a pastor or not, as a follower of Christ, your responsibility, chief among all, is Jesus. Is following what Jesus would have you do wherever you find yourself. And so he led the church. They, they moved locations and uh, saw phenomenal things. They ended up buying this property that was next to a bunch of farmland. And as they're building their church... A developer comes in and buys all of that farmland and builds 500 brand new homes exactly behind the church. So that seems like confirmation to me, and they're building the church and doing this. And a couple years later, he challenges the church to give, and the church gives, uh, I don't even want to think about the number, but a million dollars over that year than the year before. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, and God just continues to bless. And since being at that location, thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people have been saved as a result of that. But it took dedication to the responsibility of what the Lord said do. And so in your own life, you have to look at that. What does the Lord say to do for me? But as a church, the Lord says some specific things for us to do, and it's our responsibility to fulfill those things. So open your Bible to... Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, if you're using a Bible on the pew rack, it's on page 911, Acts chapter 2. So it's our responsibility as his church, as Jesus' family, because church is family, to follow those specific responsibilities. And Jesus, where we get here in Acts 2, you know, he's been on the earth, he, he's lived, he, he died, he was crucified, uh, he was buried, he rose from the dead. And uh, being raised from the dead, uh, he goes and he visits his followers. And at this point, his followers number 120. At certain points, he had thousands and thousands of people, but really he had 120, 120 dedicated followers or, you know, members or, you know, uh, people who were in his, his uh, discipleship following him. Uh, and uh, uh, those 120, he spends the next 40 days, having been risen from the dead, uh, teaching them a few more things. And then he ascends to heaven. He takes them out on this hill next to Jerusalem, and Jesus rises up, goes to heaven. But he tells them before he does, you guys go back into Jerusalem and just hang out. Wait for the helper to come. He's been telling them over the last couple years that a helper was going to come and help them, and now it's that time. He says, I'm leaving you. I want you to go back into town and wait for the helper to come. And so those 120, they go back into town. They go to this upper room area where Jesus did the Last Supper. And they hang out there and they pray and, and they talk and they fellowship and they eat. Some of them sleep there. And uh, they replace, you know, Judas who, who committed suicide with a new, uh, uh, one, a new leader, uh, uh, one of the 12, a guy named Matthias. And they wait. And then finally the helper comes. Ten days of waiting, the helper comes, the Holy Spirit and the disciples, the 120 of them, run out into the street and begin sharing the gospel. And then Peter speaks up above everybody who's there, and he preaches. And that's the big chunk of Acts chapter 2, is he preaches. And at the end of him preaching, with the 120 disciples spread out among the crowd, 3,000 people got saved that day. And so this is the, the, the birth of the church. And so now with 3,000 120. They got to figure out, okay, what do we do? What, I mean, Jesus isn't here. We, we're now we're filled with the Holy Spirit. What do we do as God's church? And so these closing verses at the end of Acts chapter 2 tell us what they did. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, in those verses, there are five specific things the church did. Five things the church did. Back up in verse 42, it, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles' teaching was Scripture. They're, they're, they're teaching Scripture. They devoted themselves to Scripture, to the learning of Scripture, to the education in Scripture, to growing in Scripture. And that, in and of itself, is discipleship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's discipleship. So the first thing the church did, discipleship, learn scripture better. A way that that comes across today in today's modern terms, some of that's in small groups. You, you spend time in small groups learning uh, uh, God's word and devoting yourselves to scripture. The Bible study, like the women's Bible study tonight, uh, devoting yourselves to, to scripture. Uh, the, the men's study that's starting up, devoting yourselves to scripture we're going to have on Wednesday nights, uh, even to, through Awanas and Bible drill, uh, devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to Scripture. It's discipleship, devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching, discipleship. But look at the next thing. It's, it's the next phrase, and the fellowship. So you devote yourselves to discipleship, to fellowship. Now, fellowship is defined there. It's almost like instead of a comma, that should be a colon. This is what fellowship is, breaking of bread and the prayer. So it's... Spending time together, devoting yourselves to each other, to, to, to meals, to, to being with each other, and praying with each other. So it's uh, physically being together and spiritually being together. That's fellowship. But if you jump down to uh, verse 46, it mentions breaking bread again. So we know that's fellowship. But look at the frequency, the first words there in that verse, day by day. So the fellowship they were doing was a daily thing. It wasn't just a one-hour-a-week deal. It wasn't just every once-in-a-while deal, once-a-month deal. It was a daily thing. They were daily in, in, in interacting and encouraging each other as followers of Christ. So they, were, they did discipleship. They did fellowship. And now look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were ministering to each other. They were serving one another. As needs came up, they, they met those needs. They didn't, honestly, I mean, if you read that, they didn't wait to be approved by somebody else. They saw a need, they filled the need. They saw it, they filled it. They saw it, they filled it. They, they helped each other constantly. They were serving one another. So that's what this is, service. They were serving one another. So you have discipleship, fellowship, service. First two words of verse 47, praising God. So they were praising God. They were worshiping. Worshiping. Worshiping in everything. You see, praising God isn't just singing songs. Worship, worshiping God is so much more than that. If we relegate and limit our worship of God to just songs, it's like we're, we're putting our spiritual life into a tiny box and containing it all therein. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is how we speak to each other. Worship is, 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 is how we interact with each other. Worship is how we treat uh, the, the cashier at Easy Mart, how we treat the cashier at Walmart or the staff or the, the people manning the customer service desk at Walmart. I'm calling some of you out on that one. Worship is how you talk to the windstream guy on the phone. Worship, worship is how you tip your waiter on Sunday lunch. You think Jesus would be honored by how some of us do that? You think after we tip our waiter a certain amount, they're willing to hear us share the gospel with them because of how much we tipped them? Man, y'all are quiet on that one. You say, you're meddling in the stuff you're now, preacher. You need to shut your mouth. You see, when it comes to, I've mentioned this before, it's been a while, but when we hold back, let's just take the money issue. 
It can be with anything. When we hold it back and put our security in that, saying, I don't want to tip this person because my service wasn't what I thought it should be, we're not offering grace. We're not offering mercy. And we're not using our tip as an opportunity to share the gospel. Because the next time we come in, say, oh, here comes that person that stiffed me last time. They're not going to listen to us. Or if they see us pray over our meal and, they, and we stiff them when it comes to the end of the meal with the, with the tip, they're going to put us in a category of, 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 you know, stereotypical Christians. I mean, you can look it up on any poll on the Internet because every poll on the Internet is true. But servers and, and waiters and waitresses, the one time a week that they absolutely hate is Sunday lunch because that's when the Christians come in. They're not nice, and they tip poorly. I saw some of you shaking your head and nodding your head. Absolutely, that is true. As Christians, we need to demonstrate something else. Because what matters more, the extra $3 you could have tipped or that person's potential eternity? It, obviously, it's their eternity, not the extra 3 bucks. Eternity matters more always than how much money you got in your wallet every single day, every single day. I'd rather spend every single dollar I've got in my bank account and just skid into heaven on fumes <laughs> than leave a bunch left behind and a bunch of people in my wake who don't get to hear about eternity because I valued my dollar more than I valued their life. Eternity matters more. Well, that was a rabbit trail that was not in my notes at all, but we went there because Jesus wanted it. So here we go. So we got discipleship, fellowship, service, and worship. And worship can be in anything. Worship can be obviously in tipping. Worship can be in how we spend our money on Amazon. Is it worship, Phil? Is, is it honoring the Lord? Worship can be how we speak to our kids in the morning getting ready for church. Worship can be how we, how, how we interact at school. Worship can be how we do our, the quality with which we do our homework, the quality with which we do our job. Uh, worship can be not gossiping when we go to Sunday school. Worship can be all of this. Worship needs to be all-encompassing in our lives. So that's four of the things there in, in those verses that the church did. The church did one more thing, and it's not even mentioned. The church as a name, the last sentence of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord did it. But you know what that is? That's the church sharing the gospel. That's evangelism. The church shares the gospel, but it's Jesus uh, who is doing the saving so you have evangelism. People are being saved every single day because they're being offered the gospel every single day. So those are the five things. Discipleship, fellowship, service, worship, and evangelism. And they did those things on a consistent basis. And as the modern church today, anything we do as the church organization ought to fit into one of those five categories. It ought to fit somewhere in there. And it shouldn't be like shoehorned in there, like we just trying to fit it because we like it. It needs to go naturally into one of those five categories. That's who we are, God's church. That's our responsibility. He lays it out. That's our responsibility as his church to do those things. And even though that's our responsibility, Jesus doesn't just say, you do what you do and I'm just going to set it and forget it. Jesus gives us his responsibility. When he said this to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church. Jesus gives us a promise. He says, I will build my church. I mean, we saw it there in Acts 2, 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, Jesus said it in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. And so we know that if Jesus says he's the one who will do the building, the building will get done. Jesus isn't just some construction worker who, who works for a week and then books it with your money. Jesus says, I will build it. It's going to get built. And the thing about that is, the fact that it's going to get built, it's going to get, get built whether we participated in not. We can participate and we can be a part of the building. We can be a part of the growing. We can be a part of the construction process. Or, or, or he's just going to do it without us. 
You know, he gives us gifts. He gives us responsibilities to, to follow after him and build up his church. But if we don't partake, then we get left behind. And we miss out on the opportunity, the blessing to be a part of the opportunity to build his church. And the building, the growing of, of Jesus' church, it's not simply about just, you know, filling the pews. Because it makes us feel better when the pews are more full. I mean, obviously, that's a side effect that, that will eventually happen as, as he, he does his and we do ours. But the point of fulfilling our responsibility, the point, all of this, I, the purposes of the church, the five purposes of the church from Acts 2, and, and Jesus saying that he will build his church, the point is not necessarily filling pews as a priority. The priority is filling heaven. And the pews will come at some point, but it's all about filling heaven. That's what it's about. That's what matters, filling heaven, bringing people to Jesus and, and bringing them to him and, and having him work his way. It's about saving souls. And, you know, that was Jesus' assignment in coming. His assignment, Jesus' assignment from God was to save souls. He said that in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He says, that's why God sent me here to all you people, was to seek you out and save you. He says, my responsibility is to seek and save the lost. And then when Jesus died and, and went to heaven and sent the helper, the Holy Spirit, he didn't just let his responsibility, you know, go by the wayside. He actually transferred it to his followers. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. So Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost. And then Jesus tells his followers right there in that verse, now that's your job. Seek and save the lost. So our responsibility, having been given it by Jesus to seek and save the lost, we can see that and say, well, okay, I need to seek them. And you save them, it's about saving souls, it's about getting them to Jesus. But the responsibility doesn't end there. Jesus gives us a little more than that in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the end of the age. So he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, first, think about that all nations business. You know, I don't know if you knew this. You might know how many nations there are in the world. 195. There's 195 nations in the world. Now, maybe your mind, your mind is about to be blown. Mine was. Maybe it won't. Maybe you're up on all of the news of the world. Uh, but this blew me away. I was flipping through some census information a few months ago. And... Uh, so there's 195 nations in the world. In Arkansas, we have representatives from 130 of the world's nations. That comes out to exactly two-thirds. Two-thirds of the nations of the world are represented in Arkansas. Would you believe it? I, was, I, I had to refresh the page to make sure. I was like, is, that, is this census information correct? Well, it is. It's two-thirds of the nations of the world are represented here in Arkansas. So when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, we are. We're to go. We're to make disciples. But we can also just do it right here in Arkansas because two-thirds of the world's nations are here in part. We can bring the gospel. They're, they're, they're waiting to hear the gospel. We just have to take it to him. So look at that, that verse again. So he says, go and make disciples of all nations. So he says, make disciples of all nations. Now, again, you have a comma there, but, but the way it's phrased in the original language, that should be a colon. So he says, go and make disciples of all nations, and then what comes next, this is how you do it. He says, first, you baptize them. You baptize them. You... Sorry, my OCD just gave me a problem. There's no space in the ND there. It's, I'm going to stop looking at the screen. That's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> That's not Tony's fault. That, that was that auto-generated. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, I'm letting you all peek into my, you know, flaws. Um, 
go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So you baptize them. Now, baptism doesn't save people. Baptism does not save people. But what baptism is, I mean, it represents what happens to you. You go under the water, you come out of the water. It's like dying to the old way of life, raised to a new way of life in Jesus. But it's also a declaration to the world that you're a Christian. It's declaring to the world, making a public declaration of your faith that you belong to Jesus. So that represents salvation. So he says, again, similar to what Jesus said in Luke 19.10, this is about saving. So you make disciples. First thing you do to make disciples, they got to get saved. The next thing you do in the process of making disciples is in verse 20, you teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus has commanded us. So we teach them Jesus' teachings so they can take them and apply them. So they grow spiritually. So they get saved and then they grow spiritually. That is the process. That's our assignment. I mean, so taking those verses, seek and save the lost, and then what we have here in Matthew 28, our assignment from Jesus as his church is to seek people, save people, and grow people. But I don't know how divine you are. I can't save people. And I'm assuming, because I know most of you, you can't save people either. But Jesus can. And so the responsibility of salvation is not on us. The responsibility on us is to tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. And then the salvation is in whether or not they will believe or not. We tell them about Jesus. We give them the opportunity to believe. And they believe if they listen to the Lord. So our responsibility then is to seek people, tell people, and grow people. From Jesus' own words, that's our responsibility as followers of Christ. Seek people, tell people, and grow people. And questions spring out of that. Okay, we tell them the gospel. We know what the gospel is. Jesus, Son of God, died for our sins so we could be forgiven. He rose from the dead so we can live after we die. That's the gospel. That's what we tell people. But we got to seek them out. We got to look for them. We got to have the eyes of Jesus. People need Jesus. We got to seek them out. We got to tell people. And we got to grow people. We got to invest in them. We got to help them get closer to the Lord. Well, who specifically are we supposed to seek? Well, Everybody. I mean, he tells us, make disciples of all nations. The world is what he's talking about. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 1. To everybody, okay? That's who we're supposed to seek. But where he's planted us into queen, if we get some specifics, as we're about to, try to define some characteristics about the people we want to seek, which is everybody, we got to seek them, look for them, pursue them. And then we got to tell them about Jesus, and then we got to help them grow. Okay, as a church, how can we help them grow in Christ? Well, let me lay out our game plan in that process. Well, first, let's define some people. You have our community. Our community, the people within driving distance of the church who are lost or unchurched. Lost or unchurched, and, and I've given the statistic before, it's something along the lines of 72.6%, if I'm remembering correct, of uh, Sevier County are unchurched people. If every evangelical Bible-believing church in our town, in our region, were filled the capacity for four services on the weekend, we wouldn't even hit half the people that are here. People need Jesus. And so we're going to define it as our community are, are people who are lost and, and are unchurched, but they're within driving distance of this spot. I don't know if you've all seen that map out there on the wall. That map out there on the wall is, is a 15-mile radius around this spot right here. 15-mile radius around this. That doesn't mean people outside of that, we don't care about them. <laughs> they're gone. No, we... we we want to minister to everybody, but that's just to give a visual representation uh, of, of our area. Uh, uh, to, to seek and save the lost, our community are represented on that wall. Um, and that, that was painted by a, a guy uh, who had been uh, radically changed by Jesus 
and made some decisions later on, but he, he, he made some decisions for the Lord and, and painted that as he was walking that path. Um, so the community, that is people within driving distance uh, who are lost that are unchurched. And we reach the community by telling them about Jesus and by inviting them to church. And so you have the community, and a next step for the community, someone who's lost, someone who's unchurched, is they come to church, and they become a part of the crowd. Now, people who are part of the crowd aren't members of the church. They're just, they come and they attend maybe 50% of the time, and they, 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 they uh, just, you know, they come in the room, they sit down, they participate, and then they leave. That, that's the crowd. That may be some of you guys. That may be some of how you guys used to be. That may be some of you guys right now. That's people who have been a part of the community, and you've taken a next step, and you've come. Great. We can all take next steps. There's always something we can be doing in next for the Lord. And we have our welcome team that's out there at that welcome table, and they have cards they fill out of uh, uh, people who come, guests who come, and they, they reach out to them. But to take a next step from being a part of the crowd, you join the church. You join the church. And joining the church... Uh, to join the church, you have to be saved, and then you're baptized. Like I said a minute ago, you declare to the world you belong to Jesus. So members of the church are believing and baptized individuals who have joined the church. Now, we started doing this deal it's earlier in the year where we had a membership class. For anybody who was a new member or was curious about membership, they could come and learn about the church, and we'd answer questions like, what are the purposes of the church? What do you do now that you've joined the church? What are responsibilities, expectations? How can, how can you be involved? Where can you serve? We're going to do another one of those classes next Sunday morning at 11 a.m. I encourage you to come to that if you're a new member or you're curious, okay, what's this whole membership deal? It's kind of weird, kind of funky. But if you want to come and learn about that, next Sunday morning right after the service, we're going to do another one of those. Um, and as last time, you can join the church in that class as we talk about that. So we have the community, lost and unchurched. We have the crowd, that's believers or unbelievers who are not members of the church but just come. And then we have church members. You've joined the church. You're a baptized, believing member of the church. And we reach the church. We're going to do two things, um, two, but they're both new, um, to minister to serve people of our church, members of our church. Number one, we're starting a brand new ministry called the CARE Ministry. It means, uh, it's an acronym. It stands for Connect, Assist, Relate, and Encourage. There's actually a sign-up sheet right back there on that back table with those words on it. A CARE Ministry. And what this ministry is going to do, we need a leader of this ministry. And so if you want to lead this deal, that means just kind of organizing, make, make sure this is happening is this ministry is going to call through every single person who's on our roll. Call through all of them. Talk to them, pray with them. They're going to ask three questions, actually. They're going to say, uh, uh, I wrote them down. How are you doing? <laughs> That's an easy one. Should have got that one. How are you doing? Is there any way we can be praying for you? And is there anything we can share uh, to the pastors, Pastor Josh, Pastor Jerry? And then they'll relay that to us as well. And so well, they'll call through and then they'll pray with the person and then, Hang up the phone and call somebody else. I mean, to be a part of this ministry, you just you don't have to call like 25 people a day kind of deal. You call when you have an opportunity. And we, we're going to call through the whole list of church members. And then when we get to the end, we're going to start over and do it again. Ongoing ministry, continual connection and engagement with people who want to put their lives here. And so that's what that ministry is. It's right back, sign up sheet right back down on that, on that table. Care ministry. If you want to be a part of this. And you just, it just takes a phone call, maybe one phone call a day, maybe one phone call a week, however it lays out for you. But you want to be a part in some capacity, put your name on that sheet of paper. If you want to lead, if the Lord's putting it on your heart right now to help coordinate this thing and, and check in with, with the people who are part of the ministry or they'll relay information to you about stuff that Jared and I need to know and then you relay it to us and we connect with those people who need prayer, you know, need a phone call from us or a visit from us, that you relay that um, but if you want to be a part of that, it's right back there on, the, on that piece of paper. You sign up for that deal before you walk out of this room. Other thing we're going to do to minister to people who want to put their lives, to serve people who want to put their lives here as members of the church is, well, it's scripture, honestly. Barna, the, the, poll, the pollster, did this uh, uh, poll uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, who dis and he, in the poll, he discovered 10% of people 
read their Bible every day. 10%. So if that were this room, 10% of you read your Bible every day. And it doesn't count that you read it on the screen this morning. That doesn't count. <laughs> but 10, or on the bulletin, or on the Pew Bible just a second ago, <laughs> that it, it's intentional devotion with the Lord in the morning or in the evening, sometime during the day. Just 10%. And so what we're going to do is try to invest in Scripture engagement. And we're going to do this unique deal to where uh, we want to read through the entirety of Scripture as a church together. But we're going to do it in a unique way. Is i got another sign-up sheet back there on the table for this. That uh, we want you to sign up to come and read the Bible for an hour. And we're going to video you. And then there's the plan. If we can get enough people to do this, we're going to video it. And then beginning in January, if we can get enough people doing it, we're going to start putting it out one hour at a time every single day until we've run out. So it would take, they say if you're a little bit better than average reader, it takes about 77 hours to read through all of Scripture. I anticipated it taking a little bit longer um, because I don't know how you read Scripture, but when I read Scripture, I don't just read, you know, straight through and check, I, I read and stop. And, oh, man, that's really good. And, and, and so when you're reading, and then I anticipate, I want you to read and stop and say, this is a really good one. You, pay, you need to underline, you need to highlight this deal here, put it on a post-it note, stick it in your car, uh, talk it out as, as you would, and we're going to video it, and then we're going to put it online beginning in January, an hour a day. Imagine that, Scripture being read an hour at a time by our entire church. And we're going to put it out um, on YouTube, on Facebook, wherever we can. I mean, who knows what kind of technology is going to be out in January. Maybe some deal they haven't even come up with. But we're going to put it out all over the place, Scripture being shot out into the world to minister to us. And the way it works is you'll just come in. We'll have a place set up to film. You just come in, uh, turn the camera on, hit record, and you start reading. I've, got a, I've got, already got a Bible in, in there. We're going to have it. It's going to be bookmarked, and a little post-it note is going to be written down with where the last person stopped. You just start the next verse, and you read for an hour. Get to the end of your hour, you close the Bible, turn the camera off, write down where you stopped so the next person who comes in can do their deal. Most of the time I'll be in there to help you, you know, turn the camera on. But uh, we'll figure that out as we go. But that's the plan for that. So we want to minister to each other through prayer with the care ministry. We want to minister to each other through scripture with this scripture reading. And honestly, if this goes phenomenal, as we pray it will, maybe this will become a yearly deal and we do a different Bible translation every year. I mean, how cool would that be? Uh, but... That's back there. So we got the care ministry sign up. We got the Bible reading sign up right back there, ministering to members of the church. So we have the community, lost and unchurched people. We have uh, uh, the crowd, people coming and attending and not joining yet. But then we have the church, people who have gotten saved. They're believing. They're baptized. Uh, but then, what's the next step you take once you become a member of the church? Well, you become a growing member of the church. You don't just sit stagnant. You become a growing member of the church. And we're doing some new stuff here. To be a growing member of the church, you make a commitment to grow. <laughs> a commitment to grow. This is what this looks like. We're gonna, I mean, just like we're going to have a new members class next Sunday, we're going to have a class, a, a growing membership class. Uh, it's a one-off, one-time class. It's this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. If you're curious about what it means to be a growing member of the church, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, uh, we're going to be down in the youth room. And this is what that looks like. You make this growth commitment to do these four things. To have a daily time with the Lord in Scripture and prayer. To give at least 10% of your income. To actively participate in small groups of our church. And to serve in some ministry of the church. And so you make that commitment. Now, understand, I know some of you that makes you a little nervous, making a commitment like that. This isn't a deal where, you know, we're going to keep a tally of who's doing what. And we're not going to have it like on a big board in the office. Oh, this person did this. Check, check, check. Okay, they're good. That was, oh, this one only did two. Oh, they're bad. We need to cut them from the lineup right now. Put them on the bench of the fantasy team. No, we're not doing that. All right? This is a commitment between you and Jesus. This isn't a commitment between you and Pastor Josh. It's between you and Jesus. 
And so you say you're a growing member of the church, you make a commitment to be a growing member of the church, I'm going to consider you a growing member of the church until you tell me different, whether you're doing those things or not. You can lie to me all day long, and I'll just keep going on like it's what it is, because that's what you said. Because the commitment's between you and Jesus, not me. Okay, you with me? I'm not going to be checking up on whether you're doing your quiet time every day. I may ask you how you're doing, and I may get digging. How are you doing, like, for real? Like, how are you doing? Because like, sometimes it's obvious when you're not doing good. Uh, but it's on you to fulfill the commitment to the Lord. It's on you to grow in the Lord. I can only tell you how to grow. As the pastor, you know, pastor... You know, a translation of pastor is shepherd. As a shepherd, I can only lead the sheep to water. I can't make them drink. I can't make them eat the grass. I can only do what the good shepherd tells me to do, and I don't always do that that great. But you make the commitment to the Lord. Okay, I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to give at least 10%. I'm going to actively participate in small groups. I'm going to serve somewhere in the church. Again, that doesn't mean you're perfect in all those areas. You're going to stumble. You're going to mess up. But walking with Jesus, running with Jesus, it doesn't mean you pursue perfection every day. It doesn't mean you're perfect every day. All it means is you're trying to make progress today. You're trying to be better today than you were a year ago today. You're trying to move forward a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. I mean, I don't know if you've ever started a workout program or an exercise program, and day two you're frustrated because, you know, you didn't drop 10 pounds overnight, and it's harder today than it was yesterday. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time to walk where the Lord would have you walk. But you got to start somewhere. And so being a growing member of the church is starting the process. Start it out. And work your way through it with Jesus. Don't beat yourself up because you got up late tomorrow and you missed spending time with the Lord in the morning. Don't beat yourself up when fear creeps in about giving 10%. Don't beat yourself up because you miss a Sunday with your small group. Don't beat yourself up because you don't want to serve in the nursery this week. You should serve in the nursery. I've done it before. My wife's done it. She does, it way, she does it way more than I did. I did it once, and I've been here eight years. So she, she's done it a lot more than me. But it, it, serve somewhere. Invest in other people's spiritual growth. So we're, we're going to reach growing members of the church through small groups, through our Wednesday night Bible studies with children uh, in Awanas and Bible drill, with youth in, in their uh, Bible study, with adults. We're going to have that growing class. Uh, we're going to have another one I'm going to tell you about in a sec. We're going to uh, teach uh, how to pray according to Scripture, how to study Scripture, why the writings of Luke are different than Paul, and Paul is different than Peter, and Peter is different than Hebrews, and Hebrews is different than Revelation, and how all of that fits together. And we're also going to do like an Old Testament survey, starting in Genesis and creation and everybody's ideas about creation and how stuff fits and what's it talking about. Why is uh, Genesis chapter 1 or some stuff that happens in Genesis 2 that already happened in Genesis 1, why is it happening again? We're going to talk about all of that. Uh, actually, in not this Wednesday, the next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, we're doing creation. So that'll be a fun one. Uh, and then we're going to do Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, and walk through a lot of this about being a growing follower of Christ. And so once you're a growing member of the church, so we have the community, then we have the crowd, then we have members of the church, and then we have growing members of the church. What's beyond that? What's the next step that a growing member of the church can take? They can take a next step and become a maturing member of the church. Maturing member of the church. And now maturing member of the church, we're going to have a, a class, again, a week from this Wednesday. This Wednesday will be the growing class. Following Wednesday will be the maturing class. And now, again, you don't have to consider yourself mature to show up. You just show up because you're curious. You show up, what's this whole deal about? That's all that it, it takes. You just want to come and learn. Um, and so to be mature, you have to be growing. But you also have to be doing what one of those purposes of the church was, sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel, working to share the gospel, working uh, to invest in the spiritual development of others, in discipleship, in inviting people to church. And, and 
working in this process. But just like we mentioned before with, with the growing members of the church, to be a maturing member of the church, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to, like you go to get gas at the gas station. And you're standing across, somebody pulls up on the other side and they get out of their car and you're feeling really convicted to share the gospel with this person. But then you get back in your car and you leave and you feel really bad because you didn't share the gospel with that person like you felt you should have. But you don't. And you go on down the road and you think, well, I didn't share the gospel. I must not be mature. Like, take me off the list. I'm done. You know, I'm out. No, you're working again. It's It's making progress. You're recognizing, okay, I should have, you're repenting, saying I will do it different next time, and, and you're trying to follow the Lord. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Because, again, I know most of you, you're not. I guarantee you I'm not. I'm at the top of the not list. You're, we're, none of us are perfect. But we need to be working towards that goal. Pursuing Christ with everything we got. So you make a, a commitment to be a maturing. That means it's a process of being more mature. A mature, a, 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 a mature follower of Christ, a mature member of the church. You say, okay, I'm going to try to share the gospel with more people than I'm doing now. And my number now is zero, so I'm going to work on that. So I'm, I'm going to work on sharing the gospel. I'm going to work on inviting people to Christ. I'm going to work on uh, uh, telling people more about the words of Jesus. I'm going to work on it and be better at it. And you make that commitment to the Lord. And again, that's a commitment between you and Jesus. Not you and me. Not you and me. That's between you and Jesus. And you try to share the gospel with the people around you. Try to picture in your mind some, a friend you have or a family member who doesn't know Jesus. What would it look like for you? What would that feeling be for you? If that person came to Christ. I remember the first person I shared the gospel with who got saved was my cousin. I still remember it now. We were, at my, uh, we were teenagers at my grandparents' house, goofing off, and then you get quiet. We're all sleeping in the same room, and I just asked him, and we got to talking. And the next day, we were going home, and I, we talked some more and prayed, and... Um, it's a feeling you never forget, especially when it's somebody close, like a family member or a friend, and they come to know Jesus. I remember we had a revival here a number of years ago, and um, it was Ken Freeman, and, and some people had, had, had difficulty with the fact it was Ken Freeman, and um, he was saying Ken Freeman things. <laughs> um, but I remember there was this one senior adult lady who... Uh, all of her friends did not like Ken Freeman. But she came every night and she brought her family, her kids and grandkids, every single night. And I asked her one day, I said, I see you back there. And, uh, you know, she was trying to sing the song. They weren't songs that were familiar to her, but she was trying to sing them and she was trying to stay engaged. And she said, I know the way my friends think and I, I know the way they, they talk, but... She said, for me, if something like this can get my son saved, then I'm all for it. I may not understand it. I may not turn it on in my car. <laughs> but I'm willing to do anything to get my son saved. And that's what it is. Because every person around us is somebody's son, is somebody's daughter, is somebody's mom. Who needs Jesus? And it's on us to bring it to him. That's why he puts you where he puts you, in the family he puts you in, in the city he puts you in, in the job he puts you in, because those people need Jesus, and he's going to give it to them through you. You're Jesus to them. Speak it. Act it. Demonstrate it. Change lives. Because he's given it to you, your responsibility to do it. Your responsibility to walk it. Your responsibility to speak it. And so in these areas, if we examine our lives, 
our own lives, between the community, the crowd, the church, the growing uh, members of the church, maturing members of the church, and we ask ourselves, where are we? And for all of us, we're in one of those categories. We can have a next step to take in one of those categories. As a member of the community, you take a next step, you believe in Jesus. You, uh, uh, you become a part of the crowd, you come and attend. As a, you become a part of the crowd, next step you take, you join the church. You join the church, next step you take, you grow. Next step you take, you become mature. And the next step you take once you're a maturing believer is you tell somebody else about Jesus. Because you're never done. There's always another person who needs to hear about Jesus. There's always uh, another passage of Scripture you need to ingest that will change your life. It may be familiar. You may have heard it before, but you need it again. There's always something next until he takes us. We're not done until we're gone. And so we keep serving. We keep doing for him. So where are you in your journey for Christ? Maybe today you have been coming for a while, but you've never joined the church, and you need to do it now. Now's the time you need to invest. Now's the time you need to buy in. Maybe you are a member of the church, but you're ready to jump in and say, okay, I need to, I need to do those maturing things. I've heard them preached on. I've heard them talked about, but it's time to really dive in and do these deals. Some of them are kind of scary, but I, you know, I know that's what Jesus would have for me. Or I need to be sharing the gospel because he tells us to in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. To, to bring the gospel to as many people as we possibly can. To get to heaven bringing as many people with us as we possibly can. We're going to have that new members class next Sunday at 11 o'clock. And you can join the church today, come to class next week, that's fine. You can join the church next week at the class, next Sunday at 11 o'clock. This Wednesday we're going to have the growing class down in the youth room. There's a big room on that end of the building. And, and at 6 o'clock, and then the following Wednesday, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a mature believer, a mature mem uh, a member of the church. And you don't have to fit in any of the categories to come to any of the opportunities to learn. You just come, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You say, I, I don't agree, you know, with the maturing category. You know, I think you can, you know, not share the gospel and still be mature. Well, we'll disagree on that one, but we'll, you know, we'll talk and have a conversation and grow together in Christ. But it all begins with all of this with Jesus. And if you're ready to believe in Jesus, don't wait for one of these classes. If you're ready to believe in Jesus, don't even wait to go to a small group in a second. If you're ready to believe in Jesus, do it now. Because there's no waiting in this business. We're not guaranteed our next breath. We're not guaranteed anything. Believe in Jesus right now. Believe in Jesus right now. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. If you believe in Jesus, it's guaranteed for you. Eternity is guaranteed for all time. It doesn't matter what you do tomorrow. It doesn't matter what you do when you walk it out of here. It doesn't, when you get home this afternoon and you're watching that football game and something comes out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth as a follower of Jesus, that doesn't mean you're not saved anymore. Because that thing that comes out of your mouth isn't more powerful than Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus is more powerful than any sin you could ever do. So your sin cannot undo what he already did. Your salvation is done. It's settled. So if you believe in Jesus now, you're saved for all time. It can never be undone, ever, ever. And somebody can come up to you and say, I don't think you're saved. You can say, I don't care what you think. Jesus thinks I am. <laughs> I had somebody tell me one time, when I was pastor of this church, I don't think you're saved. I looked at her and I said, I disagree with you. <laughs> I was I was more patient than I felt in the moment. Supernatural strength in the moment, let me tell you. Jesus comes when you need him to come. Um, but you say, I'm a follower of Jesus because he died, he rose, and I believe it. End of the sentence. Will you believe in Jesus today?